with time, Stanley, and he sacked Quiddy Pay again. Second sack of the day for the I don't understand a lot of things the NCAA does, and, and this one is very minimal in the grand scheme of things. It's probably borderline irrelevant, but it's still really stupid nonetheless. And Chase, I want to get your take on this. I'm guessing you'll agree with me because it's just common sense here. Sacks count as rushing yards. Like, this isn't new, but since Michigan beat Iowa, I've seen so many headlines, so many tweets, so many records things. Michigan holds Iowa to negative one rushing yards. They didn't do that. They didn't do that at all. Andrew Doughty here on the High Motor Podcast. Uh, Chase Kitty filling in alongside me this week. And Chase, Michigan didn't hold Iowa to minus one rushing yards. Like, that did not actually happen. I don't understand why there's this stupid glitch in NCAA rules. And, yeah, Michigan's defense played well. Like, the front seven played well. Iowa couldn't run the ball that much. But they still, like, ran for 40 or 50. I think it was, like, 50-ish actual rushing yards minus the sacks. So, what? I feel like we're just playing this stupid game where we're saying Michigan's defense looked this much better. Yeah, they looked better, but they didn't look negative one rushing yards better. What am I missing here? Why are we not just changing this? It seems like such an easy fix. Well, this is the headline game, right? Like, it, you, you need a headline that's going to get as many clicks as possible. And in this case, it does kind of line up with the overall story of the game, right? If you watch this game, the story of the game was Michigan's defense just absolutely demolished Iowa. All of the turnovers, all the picks, all the sacks, all the stops at midfield. Like, Michigan's defense played really well here. And so I I appreciate that the headline here is about how well Michigan's defense played. But I I share your confusion about why we measure stats this way. It's just kind of dumb. Well, it just feels, it's kind of like when lazy announcers still use, like, passing yarders to say this team has a good pass defense. Like, when a, a team sucks, but the announcer says, you know what, actually, Bill, they've been playing pretty good on the back end. They only allow 218 passing yards per game. They have some talent. Really well, that's because they're down sh- 30 points at halftime. Right, like, why, no uh, why, like, this is 2019, we have metrics, we have numbers, like, why are they allowing 215, 218 yards per game? Like, are they down by 50 and aren't facing passes? Have they played nine triple option teams who have passed for a combined 19 yards? Talk to me about passing efficiency defense. Don't tell me about how many yards you're giving them. Or just use a, a basic stat that a six-year-old could use. Give me, like, yards per completion minimum. Like, why are we still even using these numbers? I know that people get worked up about it, so maybe that's why. So maybe, like, ESPN has thrown out those numbers so that people can get all worked up about it, or they can be optimistic and say, hey, our team sucks, but we're only allowing 218 passing yards per game. So that I, that that whole thing, the Iowa thing, is probably my dumbest thing from week six. I probably jumped the gun there, but let me give you a different one. So in the Oklahoma-Kansas game, uh, Oklahoma did not look great in that game. I actually dropped them a couple of spots in my rankings from two to four. Uh, we can talk about that later if you want to, but why on earth was Lincoln Riley calling reverses and trick plays in that game? Like, I know Kansas's defense has looked competent for the first time in 10 years. They actually looked decent in the first half and for most of the first three quarters. And, and covered. Oklahoma, But anyways, my point is that I get that Oklahoma was struggling to run the ball, but, like, what are you what are you doing? I mean, protect your quarterback. Protect Jalen Hurts. Don't have him running out on a wide receiver pass. That's, I think, a game like 18 yards or something. Stay healthy for next week. Next week. Run whatever vanilla offense you need to run and get out with an easy win. Play Texas next week. I don't understand. If you need to run trick plays to beat Kansas, there's a problem there. What is Oklahoma doing? I think that's just the curse of a smart guy, right? Like, you can't, when you're as smart as Lincoln Riley is, and I don't think anybody... He just can't help himself? Yeah, he can't help himself. It's 
It's he's like, oh, look at this DB from Kansas that hasn't played high school football, and he's walking onto the field. Let's mess with him right now. I do think it's a little bit of that, like, right? Well, you can't turn off that level of intelligence, and so when you have this massive playbook and all this creativity, you want to use it. It's kind of human nature. So I, I agree. I keep it vanilla. Don't get Jalen hurt. And it's just I. I don't know why you need to break out all the bells and whistles to beat Kansas, but you know, I I also understand. I guess the human nature part of it. SMU Tulsa is honestly one of the best games of the year so far. Awesome. We had, yeah, we had everything great. in that game. We had clutch touchdowns. We had turnovers, wild plays, everything. So those who didn't see it, just go back and watch the highlights. It went three overtimes. SMU erased a 21-point deficit in the fourth quarter. They, they won it in the third overtime. And this isn't even part of the big-picture stuff. SMU ranked for the first time in 35 years or something. I think it's their first, uh, what are they, 5-0 and or 6-0? I can't remember. It's one of those two. It's their first 5-0 and or 6-0 start since, like, 1982. But, anyways, going back a little bit, before they won that game in the third overtime, Tulsa scored a touchdown. I think it was on the first possession of overtime, maybe the second possession. I can't recall. But the play clock had hit zero on that play. It very clearly hit zero. Sonny Dykes was irate. He went after the ref hard, and he continued going after the ref hard for the rest of that overtime and the second and third overtime. It clearly hit zero. And I'm kind of one of those guys that wants to give the benefit of the doubt to the ref. I, mean, I can't imagine how impossible it is. They're watching the play. They're watching the players to, for false starts, uh, everything. And they have to look up and see the play clock exactly when it hits zero. But it was pretty damn clear. So let me ask you. Why don't refs have buzzers for the play clock? Like, it vibrates when it hits zero. Is there some potential technological glitch that I'm aware of that could make this go wrong? Um, I, I think my understanding of it is that you, there's one ref in particular that's supposed to be tasked with, with watching the play clock. But you do bring up an interesting point, not to take this in a weird entrepreneurial direction, but, like, why isn't that a thing that exists? Like, why don't we have... It has to have been watches. talked about. I mean, you, I mean, I, I know that refs get ripped, but they're good at their job and they're smart. How has one of them never said, hey, let's look at this? It has to have happened at some point. Therefore, I'm just assuming there's a reason why, but I can't think of the reason why it doesn't exist. We know there's a lot of listeners to this podcast in California. Uh, one of you guys, you, you got to get your VC people on this. I mean, this is this is a million dollar I mean, market. this will cost like, what, $6 in terms of the technology to make it? I mean, this is like this is like 1980s pager technology. <laughs> the R&D here is roughly the cost of a Chipotle bowl. <laughs> so let's get somebody on this. I mean, wouldn't that be easy? And it doesn't have to be on every single referee. Maybe put it on like two guys. I think it's just one guy, yeah, which is, which is also part of the problem maybe, right? Or like, maybe like one guy one has guy. it and one guy is still looking at it. So you still have the guy looking at it, but then there's another guy, and if it buzzes, they, they, they blow the play dead. I don't understand why this should be that difficult. And again, I'd, I still like the human element. I'm, like, I'm a guy that I don't want the automatic strike zone in baseball. I think that would, I think that'd be stupid. I think it would ruin the game. So I don't mind the human element in some of this. But if the play clock hits zero, the play should not run. Why is there not something in place? I don't know. I wanted to get that off my chest. You want to play your wrong? Yeah, let's do it. Number one, and this is something that I've brought up on the pod uh, throughout this season, looking at the coaching hot seats. I'm going to say all 10 current Big 12 head coaches will return in 2020. Whether they get fired, leave, whatever, all 10 will be back next year. Oh, yeah, definitely. I Does agree that with that. kind of blow your mind? And we should really go back and look at history, how many times a Power 5 conference has not lost. A group of five conferences lose guys all the time. But a Power 5 conference doesn't happen as much as a group of five, but still, it happens a lot. I mean, how often does it happen where a Power 5 conference has the same exact head coaches two years in a row? And it's really conceivable to say, 
all these guys are pretty locked into their jobs. They might not leave for two or three years. Yeah, the only thing I can think of, and I'm, I'm still with you on this, so I'm not saying you're wrong, but the only thing I can think of is that somebody just tries to pay Matt Campbell a bunch of money. But I, I agree with your take a couple weeks ago uh, that, that Matt Campbell's probably staying where he's at. So Let me skip down. This one is actually five on the list, but since we're talking about it, let me bring it back up. I will say that Matt Rule will actually be the first of the current Big 12 coaches to not be a Big 12 head coach. I don't think I disagree with that either. Are you confident in saying that you think it's more likely that somebody pays Matt Campbell that massive buyout or that Matt Rule? I think Matt Rule will leave for the NFL. I think that his flirtation with the Colts job entertaining other NFL offers, that's going to, I mean, that's what Bill O'Brien Bill did. Uh, I had Adam Brenneman, the former Penn State tight end, on the show a couple of weeks ago, and, you know, he talked about how Bill O'Brien, after that first year, he entertained offers and did interviews, didn't go. I feel like once you do that, you're, you're kind of gone at some point. So you feel like it's more likely? Right, you're or... almost signaling your intention for the next year, right? Like, hey, I'm not doing this now, but why don't you guys call me again? Right, give me now? give me this big fat raise for one year, and then I'm going to be gone after next year. So where are you? Are you 50-50 on this? Or are you actually confident that Rule will leave before Campbell? Um, I think uh, that's a good one. I think it just depends on the the. It's ha- kind of the same situation because an NFL team is going to have to take a, a pretty big leap they probably have the money to do it, but it's more of a, a leap because Matt Rule has never been an NFL head coach. He's only been a college head coach for, what, four or five years now. Right. Whereas with Matt Campbell, it's a Temple big financial kind of leap. So it's two yeah, different I, sides there. I think a lot of it's going to depend on which jobs are the jobs that are open, right? Because I, I think I, I think particularly with, with Matt Campbell, I think he's going to be attractive to different jobs than Matt Rule will be. So I, I think it's just going to depend on what's open and who goes after who. And I w- I'd throw Neil Brown in there too. I, I I don't I know he's all he's talked about is how happy he is at West Virginia, but I, I think he's just so so smart that somebody's going to pay him. What if what if Ole Miss opens? You would think that Neil Brown would maybe take that job, right? Yeah, that's actually I, a really good one. I didn't think about that. I think I would yeah. still put him number two behind Rule, and then put Matt Campbell at three to leave but that's a great point I mean I, you could also look at the SEC and say that I, I do think that Matt Luke is probably on the hot seat and his buyout isn't that high with the new AD you might want to get your guy in there but you could look at the SEC and say that none of those coaches will leave either let me give you a real crazy one let's let's say you're right about Ole Miss and let's say Neil Brown goes to Ole Miss brings a new staff in does Ole Miss offensive coordinator Rich Rodriguez come back to Morgantown go back to Morgantown I don't know, I think I'd bring Dana Holgerson back first. I think West Virginia fans would take Rich Rod back before they'd take Dana Holgerson right now. Oh, I completely agree. And maybe we, we're going to play uh, who would they replace, who would they hire here in a little bit, but maybe next week we get really into the rabbit hole and say if Neil Brown goes to Ole Miss, look at how far this conversation escalated. If Neil Brown goes to Ole Miss, who goes to West Virginia? Maybe we'll play that game next week. Back to your wrong. So those are the first two. Number three, another coaching thing. This is Lovey Smith. And this is not how I felt before this season. But I'm going to say right now that Lovey Smith will not be back at Illinois next season. Huh. Um, his buyout, if you're not aware, his buyout is $4 million. It drops to two after next season. I think it stays at two for a year, and then it drops down to like one for his final year. He was a massive buyout. So after last year, I think that's why he survived Last year, he's also AD Josh Whitman's guy. I mean, Josh Whitman came in, hired Lovey Smith almost immediately, gave him this massive deal with a huge buy. I think it was like $9 million after last year. They signed uh, an extension, revised his contract, dropped it down to four. 
And I thought he would survive this season with how the schedule set up. I thought they'd actually beat Eastern Michigan. I thought they'd look better like against Minnesota, but they look terrible on Saturday. So I think Lovey Smith is gone. I think he's got one more year. I think uh, they did look really bad uh, yesterday against Minnesota. I, I can't tell you you're wrong there. But I do think they've looked better this year relative to the last couple years. Uh, so I, I I would like to see how the season progresses, but I'm not willing to sell the Lovey Smith stock in Illinois uh, just after one bad game. And I think they I, – I'm not convinced that he will be fired. And I think that, like, a Brandon Peters, for example, went down uh, early against Minnesota. And granted, Brandon Peters has not looked great this year. He did not look great in the first quarter against Minnesota. I think he was, like, 5 of 10 for 30 yards and a pick before he went out. So I think that's the type of situation. It's kind of how I feel like about Mike Tomlin. Like, if the Steelers struggle this season, I think that because Big Ben is out – uh, he could get another season because it's kind of like when a coach basically buys himself another season, like what Mike McCarthy did when Aaron Rodgers is out. You're not really going to fire a guy because he lost his quarterback, so it almost buys him another season. But So let's jump down to who would they hire. We talked about this segment last week uh, on the midweek podcast. We were talking about Charlie Strong in USF. If he were to be fired, who would they hire? I don't want to talk about him again. So let's talk about Lovey Smith in, in, in Illinois. I mentioned Josh Whitman there, the AD. It's his first uh, job as an AD uh, at the FBS level. Started D3 not only like seven or eight years ago. I just don't trust Josh Whitman to make the right call. I think he calls like Lance Leipold uh, a Buffalo. Whitman is a former D3 AD in Wisconsin. Lance Leipold, as you're fully aware, won big at Wisconsin Whitewater before going to Buffalo. I think he called like Willie Fritz. I think he called Jason Candle. But I have zero confidence any of those guys would take the job. So who would be even a semi? I know it's a hard game to play because it is Illinois. It's one of the five or six worst jobs in Power 5, who is a semi-attainable name for Illinois? So I, I, I want to set this up correctly. I, I think the fact that they went after Lovey Smith uh, is sort of a concession that they know that they're not in position to go get one of those young guys, right? Uh, but if you're going to go away from Lovey Smith, maybe you're going back toward that, that idea of trying to find a young up-and-comer that can sort of bring Illinois to around 500 in the Big Ten, which I think most Illinois fans would probably take as a win. Uh, I Looking at some of the FCS candidates, I would look at maybe a Jay Hill at Weaver State. He's been there six years. Maybe he's looking to make the jump, and if you can jump straight from FCS to Power 5, even if it's Illinois, I think a lot of people would do that. Hey, staying in the FCS, do you think Entz is a guy that's going to stay at North Dakota State, or would he be an option at an Illinois or at a lower-level Power 5? Uh, I think he's more of a low-level... Uh, I, I think he's more of a G5 candidate right now. I could be wrong, but he's only had the one year at North Dakota State, and I think a lot of people might look at that situation and go, hey, one year, your your success I'm, is probably more due to the fact that he came up right. under Chris Kleiman. You know, he's running a similar system. The North Dakota State, there's just so much wind at your back you haven't necessarily proven anything to me yet. We don't even know if North Dakota State's going to win the national championship this year. It's kind of going back and forth between them and JMU this year. It's 1A, 1B. So I think with Ince, you got to see a little bit more from him before he would jump straight to a Power 5 like Kleiman did. I think right now if somebody comes and poaches him because of the North Dakota State brand value, it's probably more likely to be a G5. Yeah, and I, uh, going through... I think the question is, who is the attainable name? Like, is it uh, like Ricky Rang? You talk about a young offensive coordinator at Penn State, but the problem I have there is that 
Ricky's sitting there at Penn State. He saw what Joe Moorhead got. Mississippi State's not a premier job, but that's still a pretty good job. And yeah, a little bit different. Moorhead had head coaching experience. But still, like he, he saw what Moorhead got. He saw what Ryan Day got. And I know that the resume isn't really there yet. So would they even would they even be able to get a younger coordinator like that? I mean, who would take a chance? And I've talked about this a lot with, with the Kansas job being open so many times, is that if you're taking a shot like that, you're assuming it's going to take minimum of, what, three to four years to build Illinois into something that is considered acceptable? I mean, nobody's going to come in and take over, I don't know, like Kendall Bryles. Like, his name gets thrown out a lot. Let's say Kendall Bryles go to Illinois. It's probably going to take three to four years to get an acceptable position to actually win, you said 500, win six, seven, eight games, occasionally, you know, not compete for the Big Ten West, but kind of be like in that second or third tier. Second or third, right. Right, and and maybe compete like every six or seven years. So going back, it's going to take a Kendall Bryles, um, like a Chip Lindsey comes to to mind. I don't think he's going to leave Troy quite yet, but it's going to take them a couple of years just to get Illinois in a position to do that. And if you fail, there goes four or five years, and then you're back to being an offensive coordinator you're going to have to wait two or three, four years to, for that stench to kind of clear and get your another shot. So you're taking a massive risk of going to Illinois. And Illinois is not a Kansas. It's a better job. It's in a better position than Kansas was. But still, you're taking quite the risk. And that's why I kind of start going down to, like I mentioned, Willie Fritz, like Chris Creighton from Eastern Michigan. I feel like you almost have to go after a, a guy that you feel like is going to be there for 10 years and a guy that you're willing to invest in. The thing about Josh Whitman, though, is I wonder if he if he makes the wrong call, is he done, and does that influence his decision at all? I mean, I, I, in your experience when you're looking at college football, how much fear do you think college athletic directors have when they say, God, if I, if I botch this hire, and I think that Brad Underwood was a pretty good hire for Illinois. I think we'll both agree with that. So he did well on that, but clearly Lovey Smith was. I was kind of surprised they got him, honestly. Right, right. And, and I think it had to kind of do with Brad Underwood wanting to leave a sticky situation with the whole FBI investigation. I don't know that for a fact, but I would guess that is part of it. So how much of it do you think that Josh Whitman is almost scared to make the wrong hire, and he knows that he has to hit this one, otherwise he's going to be out of a job in three or four years? Well, I agree with your assessment that you almost have to go after somebody that, that you feel like is going to be there for the long term. And that's almost why I feel like they're not going to get rid of Lovey Smith, right? Because I, Lovey Smith is not a young up-and-comer. He, he's somebody who is an established – I don't want to say retread because he's a successful coach. He's a good coach. But he, he's not an up-and-coming commodity, right? So that, that's almost why I feel like – I, I'm not super sold on the idea that they're going to fire him. I, I think he's got a little more life on the shelf. But to play along with the idea, uh, I, I'm not even, I don't even remember what the question was at this point. What are we talking about? I don't remember what it was either. So it seems like you're not really – you don't think they're going to keep him because of the buyout. Like you don't, you don't see $4 million as some massive number that they don't want to pay. It's more you just it, – it's more of a question like we talked about with USF. If you fire Charlie Stratton, like who do you go out and hire? So that's, that's more of the problem for you. Do you feel better – when you wake up tomorrow, if they were to fire Lovey Smith and you hire Chris Creighton or whoever, or Kendall Bryles, we mentioned his name, I don't think that he would take a job like that, but do you feel that much better if you wake up tomorrow? with If you're Illinois, I would feel a hell of a lot better if Chris Creighton was my coach than Lovey Smith tomorrow if I woke up. But if you're Illinois, clearly you have faith in Lovey Smith. You hired him for a reason. I know you, you the extension was more to lower the buyout, but you still gave him extension. So if you're Illinois, do you think that Josh Whitman wakes up and says, I feel better tomorrow about having Chris Creighton? I don't think that they would. 
Not necessarily, no. And that's what we'll probably do here every week. We'll say, who would you hire? And I think that we all get caught up in, you know, it's different with like a USC. Yeah, you're paying a massive buyout to Clay Helton. Who would you hire? You can probably go out and get a pretty darn. You're going to go out and get a head coach. You feel a hell of a lot better than Clay Helton. Even if you don't get a Matt Campbell, uh, you're going to get somebody that you feel really good about if they do it right. But when you're in Illinois, you're not going to feel that much better. Same thing with Michigan. Like, if you fire Jim Harbaugh, who are you actually going to feel that much uh, better about? I want to stay in the Big Ten, and I want to ask you a couple of questions here. Now we're getting into the point where every year I like to look at the schedule and say, is this team actually a playoff contender? If they're not, does the schedule at least allow them to be in that conversation? This year I think there are three teams that kind of fit this bill. Uh, Staying in the Big Ten, I have three teams, Minnesota, I'm asking you because they're 5-0 and right now, 5-0 and for the first time, I think, since 2004. They won their first four games, but I think combined 20 points. They should have lost to South Dakota State. They should have lost to Georgia Southern. They should have lost to Fresno State. They almost blew a 21-point lead to Purdue. They actually looked really good in that Purdue game up until the fourth quarter. They looked pretty good against Illinois. And I'm optimistic because I think they can win in any way. They threw the ball versus Purdue. They're starting to run the ball. They can come back. They can hold on to the league. At lead, it hasn't been pretty, but... I guess the question is, are they good? But they, okay, let me, let me back to it. The reason I'm asking this is because they're 5-0 and right now, they have uh, Nebraska, Rutgers, and Maryland coming up. They should be 8-0 going into the Penn State game. So would you rather talk about Minnesota now and say, if they're 8-0, look out for that Penn State game, or do you want to wait until that Penn State game and say, hey, if they beat Penn State, fine, we can have that conversation. I, I mean, I'm comfortable talking about them now. This this reminds me last year when we talked about Kentucky, right? And you and I were on Kentucky way before everybody else was because we saw the path and we saw the record. Right. It's not even like you're talking about how good of it. And again, we're not even talking. I don't even care. That's why I don't even want to ask you, do you care about Minnesota? Do you think they're right, actually I don't. good? And the other teams yeah. on here, Baylor and Wake Forest, will get them. Do you actually think they're good? I don't want to do a breakdown of Wake Forest football with all due respect. I want to do a breakdown of what their their playoff chances look like. I know that sounds crazy, but I, yeah, like you said, Kentucky, I think Colorado was in that mix last year. Regardless of what you think of them, what do you think of the path for Minnesota? Right, and the, the path is easy, right? Because when you look... Now, I think regardless of the path, all of this ends when if and when they get to a Big Ten title game, right? Because they're not beating whoever comes out of the East. But if you want to talk about their regular season path, as you alluded to, they get Nebraska at home. That doesn't scare me. They're going to go to Rutgers. I think we all think they probably win that game. They're going to get Maryland at home. Maryland seems to be uh, a little bit less than uh, maybe their hot start. And then they get Penn State, and they're going to be 8-0 probably, playing against Penn State at home. And Penn State's looked really good the last couple of weeks. But there's a lot of landmines in there for Penn State. They have a really tough schedule. And I don't think it's you know a crazy thought to think that maybe they're not super focused on a trip to Minnesota, so you don't get a vintage performance for them in the first place. It's a home game for Minnesota. You get a couple of bounces, and you can be sitting there at 9-0 and with a win over Penn State and three games to go before the Big Ten title game. And that's why I also put Wake Forest and Baylor in there, too. I wrote about Wake Forest a few weeks ago, and I said that Wake Forest needs to seriously be considered a fringe playoff contender because of how the schedule sets up. And it's honestly even, 
they have a, a a single harder game. I think that at Clemson is harder than what Minnesota has. I think Minnesota beating Penn State, uh, Iowa, Wisconsin, Northwestern will be difficult. But I think that Clemson is better and more difficult than any of those games. But with Wake Forest, you get three straight home games now with Louisville, Florida State, North Carolina State. They should be favored in all three. They should win all three. You go up to Virginia Tech. We've kind of bashed on the Hokies a little bit. They actually look decent, at least offensively, against Miami. I don't love Miami, but still, they'll probably be favored going up to Blacksburg. Then you get Clemson on the road, Duke at home, Syracuse on the road. There's a real chance, and we've seen Clemson. They haven't looked great this year. I've dropped them several times. I actually have them sixth going into my Week 7 rankings here. So it's almost like Wake Forest. They have the same type of schedule, but it's almost even more favorable because they're in that same division, they have a great chance to win that game and actually get to an ACC championship game. I think this is a real conversation. I know we're sitting here, what's the date today? October 6th, talking about Wake Forest in the playoff. We're only we're still, what, four or five weeks away from the actual rankings, but Wake Forest is, they're not only good. If we want to talk about that conversation, we can have that too. Wake Forest is a really good team, but they are actually a playoff contender. Do you agree with that? I agree that they're good, and I agree that right now you have to take them seriously as a playoff contender because the Clemson game is just so high leverage, right? Like, if they win that game, they're almost in the playoff. So if they win that, we talked about the Penn State-Minnesota game. So if if, if Wake Forest goes into that game, they'd be what? Uh, 9-0? and oh, Yeah, because Clemson will be their 10th game. Well, hang on. I'm not ready to give them the Virginia Tech game, though. That That's the caveat that I have. I don't want to talk about Wake Forest-Virginia Tech, though. I want to play this game. Let's, pl- let's play some irrational speculation here and say if they beat Clemson, at, at what point, again, the same question I asked about Minnesota, at what point do you say Wake Forest can actually make the playoff? Well, if they beat Clemson, let's take the Tech game off the board. I, I think Tech probably wins that game, but let's take that off the board for a second for hypothetical purposes. If they go to Clemson and they win, then they're in the ACC title game because Wake Forest and Clemson are both in the same division in the ACC. So Wake Forest is probably playing UVA in the ACC title game. If they win that, they're in the playoff. I mean, I know the ACC is down, but if if you're an undefeated or maybe even a one-loss ACC team, it depends on how everything else unfolds. That's one of the things I hate the most about the national conversation we have where people say... Well, if this happens, then they're in. It's impossible to say that. It's the same thing when people are like, a two-loss team will never make it. Well, yeah, I don't think right, they like, will, but I have no idea. We almost right, saw it a couple it of years ago. It depends on a thousand factors. You can't just sit here and make these ridiculous assumptions and put everything into one pile and say, this will never happen. You you have no damn clue. It's the same people that said this team will never beat this team. It happens. It's college football. You don't know what's going on with the SEC second and third teams. You don't know what's going on with Notre Dame. You don't know what's going on with the Pac-12. You don't know what's going on with the Big 12. So it, it's... It's just impossible to factor all those things in and say, if X, then Y. But it's really hard for me. You know, take if you have an ACC champion that's not Clemson, so you don't have that brand value that almost automatically pushes them in. If it's a Wake Forest and they're an undefeated ACC champion or even are a one-loss champion, I mean, they're going to be there at the end of the season. They're going to be right there in that top. And they're six, going to be ahead of Notre Dame. I think that Notre Dame is a better team right now. I think Notre Dame will be a better team at the end of the season. But the committee, whether you agree with it or not, the committee would put a thirteen and zero Wake Forest in over an eleven and one Notre Dame. I don't think that's even debatable, really. No. So this conversation is real. I know that you think that they're they're going to lose in Blacksburg, but you can see them winning in Blacksburg at least, right? 
Sure. I, I don't think it's like crazy to suggest that they could win in Blacksburg. Right. I don't think they're going to win at Clemson, but with how average Clemson looks, especially against North Carolina, they've lost at home before to to average or above average teams, which Wake Forest is. And I I play this game every year, and I don't want to jump the gun, but I feel like this is the the first year where we can actually say that the team that we're talking about has a real chance. And Wake Forest, they're they're a good team. I mean, they didn't look. I mean, let's be honest. They they didn't look great uh, against Utah State. I like Utah State, but then you see Utah State go down to Baton Rouge and just get steamrolled. So LSU is still on a different level than a Wake Forest, in my opinion. But that again, that doesn't matter. We're not talking about the best teams. We're talking about a team that would be deserving or a team that would have a shot. So let's go to Baylor. Well, hang on. I got one more thing on this. I want to go to Baylor though, it, because I know you're excited about Baylor. Well, I am excited about Baylor, but the just to add one sort of football context point into the Wake Forest Clemson thing. When we talk about Clemson looking average and and almost getting upset, or in previous years they do get upset, it's never to somebody in a high profile game, right? It's always yeah. They always steamroll. Yeah, like when Florida State was rolling, they would steamroll Florida State or LSU or right, or, and, sorry, then, Louis, and then lose at NC State, yeah. right? So it, it's if if this does come down to a, a prize fight with nine and zero Wake Forest and undefeated Clemson, I would I would and I think you don't I don't think you disagree with me on this. We would both take Clemson in that game to win. Oh yeah, I would, I'll put ninety percent chance. Yeah, that Clemson I, I just wins want us game. on the record that we we like Clemson, but this but is it's, the point is you, it's you have one to look game. at the bigger picture here and the path and the possibility. Right, it's That's just what this one game. Is like we're talking about one game. I think Wake Forest. It's college football. Should win. Yeah, I think game. they should win all of their other games. They'll probably be favored in every other game. So it's not unreasonable to think that they should win every other game. So we're talking about one game here. And with Baylor, Baylor is kind of in a similar situation to Minnesota where it's not just one game. If Minnesota beats Penn State, great. Still have to beat Iowa. Still have to beat Wisconsin. Northwestern, not a huge fan. But still, they've struggled with Northwestern in the past. Northwestern can pretty much beat anybody if they play well. With Baylor, it's a similar situation. Well, they'll be they'll be favored this weekend against Texas Tech. And we can talk about Texas Tech, too, if you want to. But they'll be favored against Texas Tech. Oklahoma State suddenly looks a hell of a lot worse now that they got beat by Texas Tech. They'll be favored against West Virginia. And then you kind of get into the tricky ones. But you get those at home. We talked about this last week. Baylor gets Oklahoma at home and Texas at home. I don't. I wouldn't bet on Baylor in either of those games. But if you told me that Baylor will beat Texas, after especially, I know that you watched the West Virginia-Texas game very closely, Texas is extremely beatable. So do you, I guess my question is, rank those three teams, Wake Forest, Minnesota, Baylor, by their playoff chances, by which path you like the most. For me, Baylor is far and away the number one converse, uh, team in this conversation. Uh, and it's they're the best the, team, or you think that they have the best chance or the best path? The, all, all of the above. Uh, and it's partially because I do think they're really good. Like, Wake Forest I think is good, but I, I just think the back-to-back Tech and Clemson games might be a little too much, and I think they could lose both of those games. Minnesota... Even if they go undefeated in the regular season, and that's a big if, but even if they do, I think they're going to play Ohio State in the Big Ten title game, and I think Ohio State's going to kill them. Baylor could very seriously play in the Big 12 championship game, and it's because, number one, they're good, okay? <laughs> they're, they're very good. Charlie Brewer's legit. They, you know, they, They're balanced on offense much more so than in past years. They can run the ball. They can pass the ball, and they play defense. So they're sort of – you could argue they are the most complete Big 12 really team. Really quickly, I don't think that defense gets a whole lot of credit, too, because we saw what it did to Iowa State, and then Iowa State just ran over 
TCU's defense, which I thought was, I mean, their TCU's defense got exposed against SMU, but it's still a pretty good unit with a pretty good front four. And Iowa State just ran over them a week after Baylor completely shut them down. So they're, they're, they're all there. They've got all the pieces. And then the schedule, as you alluded to, they get Texas Tech at home this week. I don't think Texas Tech's very good. I know they just beat Oklahoma State. I don't think they're very good. Uh, they got to go to Oklahoma State. Stillwater's a tough place to play, so that's not a gimme. But West Virginia at home, they're going to win that. I think they're going to win at TCU. I don't think TCU's all that good this year. And they get Texas and Oklahoma at home. And Texas, I, again, to your point, I really didn't think Texas looked that impressive. West Virginia gets a backdoor cover. That game kind of got out of hand in the fourth quarter, but it was close most of the way. And Austin Kendall threw four picks. And if, if they you probably have, win that game if he throws two. Yeah, I, I just I don't like. I think the we talk about how great Lincoln Riley is. You know the greatest magic trick Lincoln Riley ever pulled, saying that Austin Kendall was neck and neck with Kyler Murray fourteen months ago in camp, like. And that, we believed him too. We, that, we believed that can't him because possibly be true. <laughs> it's kind of like how he was playing up that that Spencer Rattler, and apparently he's just a great quarterback, and his film looks great from high school and all that. But he made some people believe, and I don't know how they maybe they were just reporting this. I hope to God they were just reporting this. They made us believe. Not me personally, not you, but some people that Spencer Rattler was in line with Jalen Hurts for the, for the starting job. Jalen Hurts transferred to start at quarterback and to win a Heisman and to play in the playoff. He didn't transfer to sit behind Spencer Rattle. Yeah. Bravo to you, Lincoln Riley. Didn't like to play calling against Kansas, but bravo to you, sir. Yeah. So anyway, to get to get back on Mark here, I just I think Baylor could beat Texas, you know, by double digits in Waco in November. Uh, I, I that wouldn't surprise me at all. I think the, the two big leverage games for them are the Oklahoma schools. Having to go to Stillwater here in a couple of weeks and then getting Oklahoma at home because it, you know Lincoln Riley has proved since he's taken over that program in Norman that you better come correct if you're going to beat the Sooners team because the, just the offense is going to be out of control and their defense is pretty decent this year. So I, I do think that's a really tough game even though it is in Waco. But Baylor is legitimately good. I think they're probably a top 20 team right now. And the path is there. They get the quote-unquote best two Big 12 teams. I think we could have a conversation about where Texas is. But they get Oklahoma and Texas at home. They're legitimately good. I think it's there for them if they can get the balance. Well, and they have a margin for error, too, which Wake Forest doesn't have. If Wake Forest goes to Clemson, it's over. I think that if, if Minnesota, they could, yeah, Minnesota, there still could be a one-loss uh, West champ in the Big Ten, but a one-loss team, I don't think they're going to beat Ohio State, so there's probably no margin for error there. But with Baylor, I plotted this out, I think, last week after their Iowa State win. Let's say they go 11-1 in the regular season, 8-1 in the Big 12 the loss to Oklahoma. So they would own some tiebreakers there. But I don't want to run out all the scenarios there, but then the Big 12 championship game, game would be Baylor versus Oklahoma. Let's say Oklahoma's undefeated. Let's say Baylor has one loss, which was to Oklahoma. If Baylor wins that game, fair or not, they're probably in the playoff, even though their their resume would almost be identical to Oklahoma. There will be some recency bias here. Let's say Oklahoma plasters Baylor in the regular season, but then Baylor goes out and beats Oklahoma in the Big 12 championship game by seven points. The committee would put Baylor in over Oklahoma. Whether you agree with that or not, that would just happen, right? Well, I think it depends. Uh, the, the problem with Baylor is even as a champion, 
as a program, they, they almost never play anybody worth talking about until they get to their Big 12 schedule, right? So, But I think the weight on the conference championship game would outweigh anything that would have happened in Oklahoma win over Baylor in the regular season. Maybe. It would be an interesting conversation. Unless the committee sure. is just lying. They, they've been touting conference championship games for, what, six years, five years now. Unless they're just lying, which is highly possible. They definitely tout the conference championship games. But I think one of the, I think the thing that I feel most confident about after four or five years of this playoff is that the committee can pretty much just do whatever they want and then just cite whatever they want afterwards. So if, <laughs> Good for if them. They're getting away with it. Yeah, I mean, if they want to come out later and say, you know, we, you know, in a in a vacuum, it's college football in sixty minutes, anything can happen, and, and we just felt over the course of the regular season that Oklahoma was a better team statistically. They proved it more on the field, and then they they lost a, a tough close game with Baylor, you know, a week before the playoffs started. So we we just thought we'd reward Oklahoma for what they showed in their body of work. Blah 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 blah. You know, like that's that wouldn't be that outrageous if we heard that soundbite in. You know, no, but if I had to bet on it, the scenario that I ran through, if Oklahoma beats Baylor by like 20 or 25 in the regular season, but that's Baylor-Oklahoma in the Big 12 championship game, obviously Oklahoma undefeated, Baylor 11-1, and Baylor wins by 7, I would bet heavily that Baylor would be in. So like going back to your original point of the schedule, Baylor has the margin for error that those other teams don't. So is that how much does that play into the fact that had you ranked them, you said that Baylor is not only the best team out of those three, you like Baylor's path the best. Because there's a little bit of a margin for error there, do you think that Baylor is that? How much does that play into your consideration that Baylor has the best path of those three? It definitely does because they can lose a game and, and still be fine. But I also just think they're the best team of those three. I, I just think if Baylor played Wake Forest neutral field right now, I think Baylor would win. So you think there's a be- way better chance that Baylor beats Oklahoma at home than Wake Forest going to Clemson and winning? Is that what it comes? Is that what it comes down to? Because I think we both agree that I would still take Texas in that game in Waco. If I had to bet right now, we'll see what happens a month and a half from right now. I mean, that's week thirteen. We're only getting to week seven here, but I I would bet on Texas right now. But as we talked about last week, we talked about who's the third best team in the Big Twelve. Maybe we need to start having the conversation who's the second best team in the Big Twelve, which is insane considering where we were at the beginning of the season. I know you and I kind of went back and forth, uh, saying before the year we thought these teams we disagreed then, we disagreed now on who the third best team was. We might even agree now that Texas is not the second best team. We'll see how it plays out over the next couple of weeks. But it's interesting that the position that Baylor is in, and I mean, talk about Matt Rule getting a shot if Matt Rule goes 11 and 1 I mean people are going to be backing up the Brinks truck for him right USC is going to be coming after him NFL is going to be coming after him if he goes 11 and 1 if you had to bet uh let's say they go 11 and 1 and lose the Big 12 championship game if you had to bet would Matt Rule be back in Waco next year Ooh, good one do you think uh, it's a, a similar I mean I talked about Bill O'Brien I think it's a similar situation I am I'm not going to compare Sandusky to the Arbrile situation at all that will do nobody any good but there is a, a very special circumstance, what he took over in Baylor and how he's handled that rebuild and, and the wounds that he has, I don't want to say help heal, but he's helped kind of... Gotten past. Yeah, and I, I, again, I, this is a really dangerous game to play because you don't yeah. just you don't just heal sexual assault. But right. still because of the certain... That's situ- not the storyline in Waco anymore right now. Right, and, I, and I'm not in Waco, but it seems like everyone in Waco is happy with how Matt Rule has handled himself and handled the program. So there is a little bit of that. There's got to be some sort of emotional commitment that he feels to the Baylor program. And Bill O'Brien admitted that he felt that in Penn State, but he still left. So how does that play into it? And then this is pure speculation, obviously. We have no idea what Matt Rule is thinking. Well, I think, and look, I don't know Matt Rule at all. I've never spoken to him. Uh, but 
I, I would think I, if I was him, if I was in his situation, if I came in as absolutely desolate, bleak, any adjective you want, uh, that, as that Baylor program was when he entered there, if he gets them to 11-1 and one in a Big 12 championship Three years later. <laughs> three years later, even if they don't win, I, he did his job, right? <laughs> uh, so I, I think you can leave there for whatever job you want and feel like, hey, I did my job way more than, you know, than, than I, I way exceeded the expectations here. I gave the program what they needed. Uh, and now I'm going to go, you know, get the money that I am earned, that I've earned that is due to me because I just, you know, posted an all-time turnaround. Let's call it. You'll be back on Wednesday with me? I will. We'll both be back on Wednesday. Right away Wednesday morning, the midweek episode of High Motor will be posted, potentially Tuesday night if we uh, get things all squared away by then. I will have another guest per usual, and then I'll have Chase per usual talking betting. It'll be the week seven betting preview. Until then, give the pod a follow on Twitter, at High Motor Pod. Give us a review on your podcasting app. If you would be so kind, and maybe send the NCAA a note lobbying for the, the rushing yardage change, the the uh, vibrate, that sounds terrible, the buzzer, the buzzer on the referee. The referee's not going to be carrying on a vibrator, Chase. Referee vibrator. Do your civic duty. Join us in fighting the good fight to get rid of the rushing yardage rule. That's Chase Kitty. I'm Andrew Dowdy. I'll be back midweek on the High Motor Podcast. Oh